church family, will you take your copy of God's word and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We will pick up this morning in verse 6 and be uh, in the rest of the chapter this morning here in our series in 1 Corinthians. As you find your place and get yourself settled, I want to remind you that next Sunday is an important Sunday for us. Really, this coming weekend is an important weekend in the life of our church as we celebrate our Praise and Go partnerships and we recommit ourselves over the next 12 months uh, to praying, sending, and going together. Just one quick note, um, this last Friday, if you couldn't tell, it, it rained. And so we were unable to have our uh, golf for missions, golf tournament that is sponsored by our men's ministry that supports our Praise and Go partnerships, or at least our Praise and Go church plants. Um, that has been rescheduled for October the 9th, which is a Monday, but it is a Columbus day. So many of you maybe, if you work for the government at least, may have that day off. If you are registered to play and are going to play, there's nothing you need to do. It's just all going to transfer. Uh, if you're not going to play, the men's ministry asks that you would either contact Jim Gudak or you would contact the church office so we can make sure uh, that all of the logistics are taken care of. But that's what we're doing with the golf tournament that we weren't able to have on Friday. And then this coming, this coming Friday night, it'll be inside, so not weather dependent, is going to be our Praise and Go dinner. There are still tickets available for the Praise and Go dinner uh, out in the lobby. If you go out there after the service, tickets are $5. That's just to help us control the crowd, really, folks, to know how much food to buy. Uh, it's going to be a great evening this Friday night as we get to hear from uh, not only reports from our, some of our Praise and Go partners, but also hear from people in our church uh, who participated in a mission team this last year. And so those are always really exciting, great reports to be able to hear what God is doing, not only in our partnerships, but in the lives of people who serve uh, as a part of teams from our church. And then Pastor Jay has a special challenge for us on that night. And then on Sunday, we'll be praising and go Sunday. I will be preaching the first part of 1 Corinthians 3, a message on that the mission matters. Uh, members of the church got a praise and go card in the mail this last week, but we need you to have one of the top portion of this card for every person that's here. So you maybe have come into the life of our church in the last 12 months, and so you've not been here for a praise and go Sunday. We use this card as a response to the sermon next Sunday. And so there are some on the back table. There are some at the information desk. I would encourage you to go ahead and grab one of these. If we mailed you one and there's more than one person in your home, uh, you'll need more than one, at least of the top portion of the card, because we want everybody to consider uh, next week how we will pray and go together and then households to consider how they would give to the Praise and Go missions offering over the next 12 months. So grab one of these cards on your way out today. I'll invite you now to stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We pick up here in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6, and I'll read down through verse 16. This is the word of the Lord. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. 
For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for the gathered body of believers, for our opportunity to sing loudly praises to our Lord and King, to read scripture and to pray, to encourage one another by the fellowship of the saints and to open your word and to have it instruct our hearts. And as we see clearly in this passage, by the power of your Holy Spirit, It's how we are able to know the things that are of God, the things that are from you, that that confound the wise of this world, that the natural person cannot understand, but because of the Spirit's work in our lives, we can know the wisdom and power of God because we have been given the mind of Christ. We pray, God, that we would now in this moment operate within the mind of Christ, that you would draw us towards wisdom and you would draw us towards maturity in Jesus. Thank you, God, for a congregation who takes on the task of seeking the maturity not only of oneself but of the collective, that we may all be mature in Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church family, you may be seated. Today's sermon is entitled, Maturity Matters. Americans, sociologists and psychologists tell us, are absolutely terrible at self-evaluation. We are coming up on that season where, for many of us, we will fill out a self-evaluation form at work. You'll be given a form and you'll be asked to rate yourself and evaluate your job performance. And what many psychologists and sociologists tell us is there is just too much of a sense of personal optimism in American culture for us to do this well at all. There's a professor of psychology at Cornell named David Dooning, and in an NPR interview, he said this, on average, American employees tend to think that they're well above average, well ahead of everybody else. They think themselves to have more expertise, they have more leadership skills, they're more idealistic, and they're more sophisticated. This is the way we rank ourselves. That article that Quotes David Dunning also shows that in certain studies that have been done on Americans, 
For instance, amongst American engineers, 40% of American engineers believe they are in the top 5% of engineers. I don't know what that says about it. We have some engineers in the room. But it's not just engineers. A study done amongst American motorcycle drivers, the majority of motorcycle drivers believed they were in the majority of drivers least likely to cause an accident. The average person believes that they will live longer, have less vices, and are better at getting along than, uh, with others than other people around them. We just are not very good at self-evaluation, but I'm going to begin this morning by asking you to do a bit of self-evaluation. I'm going to ask you a simple question. How mature are you? How mature are you? Now, I'm not talking about maturity as we so often culturally speak about maturity. I'm not talking about can you, you know, operate as an adult in society. We're not talking about the immaturity of youth and the maturity of adulthood. Although, truthfully, if we were to ask that question just of average Americans, most would rate themselves more mature than They actually are, but I'm talking about spiritual maturity, the kind of maturity that only Christians know, the kind of maturity that Paul is addressing here in this second half of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the maturity that is the mind of Christ. That's ultimately how Paul defines it. Christian, I, I want you to evaluate your life for just a moment and ask, how mature am I? If these same statistics hold true for our congregation, many in here will rate themselves above average or more mature than the rest of the congregation when maybe we shouldn't. That's not to say there aren't extremely mature Christians in this room. There certainly are. But likely among them, they would rate their maturity lower. It would simply come with the humility of recognizing that we have not arrived yet, that we haven't fully put on Christ as we put off sin in this world. We haven't fully adopted the mind of Christ and and become wise to all of the things of God. Here's the main idea of our sermon today, that the church, the, the local church, this group of believers made up of more mature and less mature Christians remains unified as we disciple one another towards maturity in Christ. As we have seen from chapter 1 and now chapter 2, and we'll continue to see in chapters 3 and 4, the primary subject of this first 25% or so of Paul's letter to the church at Corinth is the unity of the body. Paul is uniquely concerned with the disunity that had come into that church And one of the primary reasons that they were disunified was because they were immature. They were taking sides because of their immaturity. They were embracing wrong doctrine because of their immaturity. They were embracing wrong practices because of their immaturity. And this tribalism and false doctrine and false practice were causing division amongst them. And yet he writes to them here in these verses about the difference between a wise and unwise person, a mature and immature person, 
showing to us that the church, any local church, any local church that you find, the, the, the spectrum of maturity amongst those people will always vary. That the church will always have more mature Christians and less mature Christians. I'm going to argue at the end that it should that every local church should have less mature Christians. It's actually one of the marks of a healthy church. And even so, amongst our, in the midst of our mixture of maturity levels in Christ, we must remain unified around the mission of making disciples, of helping one another grow in our maturity. So before we move into the exposition, Just think of that self-evaluation for a moment. How mature are you? And probably we all need to recognize that we are not as mature as we often want to paint ourselves to be. And sometimes we don't even strive for the level of maturity that we should. And yet, in a church where there are less mature and more mature Christians, we together work for the maturity of all. Number one. The church will always consist of more mature and less mature Christians. I would like to make that point through how Paul begins this section. Look back with me in verse 6. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. An important question first must be answered, and that is, is Paul seeking to cause some type of division within the church? We should not read this as Paul saying that there are some people in the church who are wise Some people in the church who are mature and some people in the church who are unwise and therefore some people in the church who are immature and that that those two groups are somehow divided. That's that's not, that, that would be contrary to Paul's purpose here in these first few chapters. He's not seeking to divide them amongst mature and immature. He's seeking to show simply the fact that there are more mature and are less mature Christians within the church, and yet there is the possibility to take those who are less mature and move them towards maturity as we disciple one another. He's recognizing a reality while calling all of us, every Christian, towards maturity in Christ. Our ability, for instance, to understand the secret and hidden wisdom of God is the dividing line that Paul paints between the lost and the saved, not between the mature and the immature. That he's seeking to impart wisdom to an entire congregation. And that congregation in the apostles' mind, just as it must be in our mind, is made up solely of Christians. It doesn't mean that there are not lost people among us as there were likely lost people among the church at Corinth. But he's not seeking to divide the church amongst those who he would consider 
mature and those who he would consider immature. He's calling all of us towards the reality that when we come to Christ, we have access to the wisdom of God, to secret and hidden things that the world does not understand. He writes about this wisdom in, first, in Colossians chapter 1, where Paul writes to that church, Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filled up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I've reminded you multiple times already in this series in 1 Corinthians of, of how the, 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 in the Greco-Roman world, they prided themselves on seeking new wisdom, that, that it was actually a lucrative business. People could travel from one city to another, it, it, making rhetorical speeches and imparting some kind of new wisdom, and, and people would support them. They would become patrons of that, of that speaker, and that this was a pastime in this world. Paul's already addressed in in previous verses how the wisdom of this world is ultimately foolishness because the wisdom of the world looks at the cross and doesn't understand it. And yet he's calling us to a kind of wisdom, to a kind of maturity that the world would never know. This is why he says that none of the rulers of this age understood it. This is verse 8. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He's saying that the, the, by, by talking about rulers, he's talking about people whom the world would deem as wise. These are people placed in positions of authority that are viewed with respect amongst the culture. And he says they're, they're all foolish because they, they missed who Jesus was. They went so far as to crucify him. And if they understood the true wisdom of God, if they understood the true mystery of God, and they would have never crucified him. So just as Paul has previously done, he's placing the dividing line between those who have placed their faith in Christ, who have come to understand the wisdom of the cross by the power of the Holy Spirit, and those who have not. And yet amongst those who have, there is a spectrum of maturity. There are certainly those who have walked with Christ longer. There are those who have dedicated themselves towards sanctification and, and, and knowing the scriptures and applying their scriptures for far longer than others. This is true in this room as it's true in most churches. But just because you've been walking with the Lord a long time doesn't mean that you're mature. It should, but it, but it doesn't. Maturity happens in different rates and different people's lives, and, and we all find ourselves somewhere on this spectrum. If we are in Christ, we may still be immature, but we have this same access to the, this wisdom of God that Paul is seeking to impart to the church. The foundation of this mystery that Paul says was decreed before the ages is ultimately the plan of God to save sinners 
If you've come to faith in the gospel, then you have the foundation to know the very wisdom of God. This has been God's plan from before the foundation of the world that he would redeem a people for himself. That God has been enacting his plan of redemption for all time. And most often we say it like this, that God is redeeming a people for himself, for his glory. But Paul says it a little differently here, and it's important to recognize the difference. He ends verse 9 by saying that it is for our glory. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord. Sorry, the end of verse 7 God decreed before the ages for our glory. And who did they crucify? They crucified the Lord of glory. Now, when we, when we read that, that the plan of God before the ages was to redeem a people for, for our glory, we need to understand what he's actually saying. Our glory comes from the crucifixion, the death of the Lord of glory. Paul is looking to our ultimate glorification in Christ, the, the finished work of our salvation when we are resurrected from the dead and we become like him. He's not saying that Jesus, was di- Jesus died so that he could make much of you personally. He's saying that Jesus died so that he could make much of himself through you by taking what you once were and changing it into something completely different. He's looking to the ultimate end and saying for those who who God has revealed the truth of his plan to save sinners by the power of Christ and his cross, we then are glorified with him. But healthy churches will always have immature Christians amongst us. Some churches tend to pride themselves on their immaturity. They tend to pride themselves on the fact that everybody in the church recently came to faith in Christ. And this kind of becomes a sticking point for them. Then on the other end of the spectrum are churches that kind of pride themselves on being in a next level churches. We're, we're a church that digs deep. We're a church that, that really studies the Bible. We're a church that's got a lot of mature Christians on it. Listen, neither one of those points should be points of pride for the church. You know what the church should strive for? The church should certainly strive to have mature Christians, people who are walking with the Lord. But are those people really mature if they're not bringing others along in the faith? Are those people really mature if they're not proclaiming the mystery of God that he sent his one and only son to die for our sins so that we might live? And then when we see God redeem people, we then bring them along with us. Healthy churches will always have this mixture of lost and saved Because healthy churches proclaim the gospel of Jesus. So as we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, we see people saved. And as we see people saved, we recognize that they are immature. As we'll see next week at the beginning of chapter 3, that all they can really handle is milk. But we move them along by the power of the Spirit and the work of the church. So that leads us to our next point, and that is who is actually doing this work of maturing people, taking people from less mature to more mature. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of all believers to move them towards maturity. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of all believers to move them towards maturity. Pick up in verse 9. But as it is written, 
What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths of those who are spiritual. Paul's saying a lot here. But it's fairly easy to summarize. Here's the summary. The Holy Spirit, the mind of God, the one who knows the mind of God. That's what that middle part where he's like, who knows the mind of man? Only the man. Who knows the mind of God? Only the Holy Spirit of God, right? So just take from that. He's talking about the Spirit of God. And that what the Spirit of God does is he takes less mature Christians those who still are battling against their sin nature, those who have still not fully put on the, the life of Christ, you know, they're, they're still struggling with a lot of things and moves them progressively towards Christ-likeness. This is what the Spirit of God does. Now, I want to draw your attention to something there in that point because this is important. The Holy Spirit is at work in the lives of all believers to move them towards maturity. When I say all there, I mean all, meaning the Holy Spirit is still at work in your life, mature Christian. Go back to our moment of self-evaluation. If you evaluated yourself and I said, how mature are you? And you're like, oh, pastor, I passed this test. I got it. I am top 5% in this room, no doubt about it. Well, number one, maybe you're not. (laughs) Number two... The Holy Spirit's not done with you. He's not done. And, and let me tell you, one, one, one of the saddest things that I see in the lives just regularly as I pastor Christians, as I pastor this church, one of the saddest things that I see is Christians grow complacent in their maturity. They reach a level and they're like, I, I, I'm, I'm where I need to be. I, I, I know my Bible well enough. I've applied my Bible well enough. I've, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where I am. And then they look at the rest of their life, however long that is, and they just think I'm gonna put it on, I'm gonna put it on cruise control. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna take it to the end right here at 65. I don't have to worry about any speeding up anymore. I'm good. No, hear me, Christian whether you have recently, as some have come to faith in the last few weeks through the ministry of this church, or you've been walking with the Lord for longer than this church has been on this corner, the Holy Spirit of God is not done with you. This is why Paul, he he pieces together multiple Old Testament passages. That's what he's quoting in verse nine. It's not one Old Testament passage. It's multiple. He's piecing things together. He says, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. This is often read at funerals. People often want to talk about that like Paul's talking about heaven. Paul's not talking about heaven. That's why he says the word word but is there in verse nine because he's talking about future glorification in verses seven and eight. But when he says, but, he's returning to this moment. 
So what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor heart of man imagines what God has prepared for those who love him is what God has prepared in your Christ-likeness, in your maturity, in your sanctification. There is still more to gain. There's still more in front of us. And these things God is revealing to us through his spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who teaches us the depths of God. Paul writes about these depths in Romans chapter 11. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Oh, there is such great depth and wisdom and knowledge in God revealed to us in his word, imparted to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. Christian, you are never done growing in it. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure Our part in sanctification is our obedience. It is our response to the refining work of the Holy Spirit in us. He is still at work in you. And he is at work in the person sitting next to you. We so often give up on one another. Let let this just be a moment of conviction maybe for you. We so often give up on one another. We look at our fellow Christian and we think, ah, they're not as mature as me. So because they're not as mature as me, I'm going to put up some fake, false dividing line between me and them. Don't give up on your brother or sister in Christ. Recognize that the Holy Spirit is the one at work in them. Do they have work to do? Sure they do. Do they have ways that they need to grow in the wisdom of God and in maturity and obedience to him? Absolutely. But so do all of us. Don't give up on one another. God is at work in us for his good pleasure at his good time. He is the one bringing us all along. We can't do it on ourselves. Hear me, because there may be immature Christians in the room that are hearing this right now. And and what they're hearing is me say, do better. I'm not telling you to do better. I'm telling you that Christ wants to do better through you. That the Holy Spirit is the one who is bringing you along. And this church is not going to give up on you, brother. This church is not going to give up on you, sister. We're not going to divide from you and say, well, you're, you're not to the level of Nansman River Baptist Church. Listen to me, church. If we ever say that, we should close the doors. Far be it from us that we would think that someone who has come to faith in Jesus that still has a lot to learn and a lot of growth to experience in their lives, that we would ever look at them and think less of them. They are one with us. So the desire of every Christian should be personal and corporate maturity in Christ. We should be concerned with our own growth and to buck our individualistic American minds. We should be 
mindful of the growth of others because Christianity is ultimately a team sport. Look at verses 14, 15, and 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, for is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Once again, Paul is seeing two groups here. Not mature and immature, but saved and unsaved. Here he calls them the natural and the spiritual. He says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. These are those who have not come to saving faith in Jesus. They are the ones who are outside of the church. Then there are the spiritual people. These are those who, are, who have come to saving faith in Jesus who are a part of the church. And while the natural person may be in this room with us today, they are not in the church. You need to understand, just because you come into this room doesn't mean you are in the church. You say, wait, aren't I in a church? No, you're in a building that a church happens to own, okay? There's nothing sanctified or sacred about this place. We just happen to build it so it would be big enough that we could meet in it. But the church is this people, and so while lost people, natural people may be gathered with us, that is the true division, natural and spiritual. But what do spiritual people do? Spiritual people grow in spiritual things. Spiritual people grow in their understanding of the mind of the Lord who is instructing us because we are ultimately given the mind of Christ. This is why he says, by the way, some people get locked up in verse 15 where it says that, that but himself is to be judged by no one. And there are people that will say, well, I'm in Jesus. Nobody can judge me. Paul says so. That's not what that means at all. If anything, when we come to faith in Christ, one of the things that we submit ourselves to is the judgment of other Christians. Now, not, not false, um, pharisaical kind of judgment, the kind of judgment that looks down our noses at others, the kind of judgment that would negate everything that I've just said for the last you know, 25, 30 minutes or so. But we submit ourselves to the sanctifying judgment of one another because we're helping one another grow in our maturity. We're helping one another as the body of Christ move towards maturity. When he says that, but, he, but is himself not to be judged by no one, he's talking about the world. The world can't judge you. As wise as the world thinks it is, as smart as the world thinks it is as much as the world thinks it's got it figured out, Paul has already clearly established that they don't, that they're the ones who are foolish and they're the ones who are perishing. And the world does not sit in judgment of God's church. It is God's church who has been made alive in Christ and it is God's church who is helping one another walk in the mind of Christ. This is why Paul says in Ephesians 4, we read, Steve read earlier from the first part of Ephesians 4. I want to continue there in verse 11. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, basically established the church, an order within the church to do this, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, 
until we all attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with its which is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is why the church exists. The church exists to make disciples. This is what we do. So immature Christian in the room, it's time to grow up. And and maybe somebody needs to tell you that. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time and nobody's loved you enough to, to kick you in the pants and say, it's time to grow up in Christ. Well, it is. Mature Christian, it's time to help them do that because this is what the church does. The church church exists to move everyone to mature manhood, Ephesians 1, 12 says, to, to the measure of the fullness of, to the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Christ is the goal Christ's likeness is the goal. As Paul ends chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, the mind of Christ is the goal. We've been given the mind of Christ. In Romans 11, he asks, who knows the mind of Christ? In verse 16, who has understood the mind of the Lord? Then he states emphatically, we have the mind of Christ. Christian, you've been given the mind of Christ. So walk in it. Move towards Christ's likeness. And this is why the church exists, so that we can do this together, not disunified into small little groups where we look at each other and like, well, my group of people is more mature than your group of people, and we're, you know, we're doing all of this good stuff, and I don't know what you people are doing over there. That, that's silly. It's counterproductive. What does the Lord call us to? The Lord calls us each together as As the whole body joined and held together, speaking the truth in love to one another, helping one another grow up, not into our own image, but into the image of Christ. And he does this by giving us his mind, by setting our mind on the things that we couldn't understand when we were natural people, but we can now that we're spiritual people. Man who was, uh, played a significant role in the 20th century of the Southern Baptist Convention, primarily by this, by calling churches like ours to being dedicated to pray. His name was T.W. Hunt, lived in Texas, wrote a book called The Mind of Christ. And in it, he says this, God's goal for me is that I be like Christ. The one aspect of my personality that he will constantly measure for Christ's likeness is my mind. He helps in my growth by revealing through his word the expectations he has for my mind. Through his word, his work, his grace and his spirit, I have the mind of Christ and I will grow in it. That this is the goal for every Christian. So this must then be the goal for every church. That corporately, congregationally, we would help one another grow. And know everybody's not where you are and you're not where some people are. And so what we do is we help each other to get there. So what? We must labor together for the growth of all believers while patiently trusting the Lord to bring all to maturity in Christ. Again, I want to make two very clear statements. The goal is maturity in Christ. It's not maturity for maturity's sake. The goal is maturity in Christ, and you don't get there by trying harder. 
You get there by being obedient to the work of the Spirit of God in your life through his word and through his church. And so we then are called to labor together, not only for our own growth, but for the growth of the others represented here. And the more people the Lord continues to entrust to this church, which, have you noticed, the Lord is entrusting more people to the ministry of this church So the more people the Lord is entrusting the ministry of this church, the more we must recognize the task before us to move people from immaturity to maturity. That's why Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, we had read earlier verses in the sermon. This is verses 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, so this is about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he may powerfully work in me. Let me say two things before I'm done. The first is this. When Paul says, for this I, this I toil, uh, sorry, when Paul says that we may present everyone mature in Christ, that means it is a possibility for you to be mature in Christ if you are in Christ. The only way to be mature in Christ is to be in Christ, and maturity in Christ is the ultimate goal for all who are in Christ. So you don't get to just, I I talked to mature Christians a minute ago that want to put it on cruise control. Let me talk to immature Christians that, that just go, well, it's all right, I'm in Christ. And as long as I'm in Christ, I'm saved. I'm not going to hell when I die, I'm going to heaven. I get to have this kind of community and it really doesn't matter what I do and it doesn't matter what I say and it doesn't matter how I think or how I operate in this world, I can just kind of do what I want to do. No, 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 the goal for for your life from the savior of this world is to move you towards maturity in Christ. We may present everyone mature in Christ and it's the spirit of God that makes that possible so that's the first thing. You can move to maturity in Christ if you are in Christ. And the second is that all of us together toil for this. The word toil in that verse 29 means to work until you are tired. Let me ask you a question. Mature Christian, the one who rated themselves top 5% at the beginning, when was the last time that you worked yourself tired for the sake of someone else's discipleship? I don't know if that's convicting to you. It's convicting to me. When was the last time at the end of the day you said, you know what, I'm tired, and it's not because of work that you did at your job. It's not because of stuff you did around the house, but you were tired because you poured yourself out into a less mature Christian so that they could grow in the mind of Christ. Oh, church. Let us be the kind of people that will wear ourselves out for our corporate maturity. Hear this, my friend. If you're gathered with us today and you feel maybe that I insulted you by saying just because you were in this building doesn't mean you're part of our church. It's true. And the maturity that we find in Christ is only found in him. If not, you are walking in the folly of this world, but you can begin to walk towards Christ by believing the gospel of Jesus, by believing in the good news that God, before the foundation of the world, chose to redeem a people for his glory and because of the glory of Christ, ultimately even for our glory, that he makes us like Jesus. You can trust in that. There's... there's, there's nothing else you have to do. There's no do to this. There's simply trust and believe in the power of God to change your life, taking you from what you were 
walking in the foolishness of this world, even though it is seen as wisdom, to walking in the hidden and true wisdom of God revealed by the Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us in our foolishness, but you revealed to us your wisdom so that we could walk in it, so we could know it, so that we could grow in it, we could have the mind of Christ, and you could sanctify us, make us more like Jesus by the power of your Spirit. Would your Spirit continue to work? Holy Spirit, we ask you continue to work in our lives, work in our church, work through us and in us so that we can present every one of us mature in Christ recognizing that that task is never done because we are constantly bringing less mature people into the body who then we bring along. God, would you allow us to remain unified even in the midst of our varied maturity? Would you call men and women and boys and girls to faith in Jesus alone so that they too could have the mind of Christ, so that they too can then be on this journey with us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you to stand with me as we sing together.